Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. So I see in the Twitters, you're burning up your brand new deck with some stove, man. Don't you know it's wood out there? <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is a few people are commenting because it's been like 85, 90 degrees Fahrenheit here. So it's like, why do you need this? Why do you need a fire pit on your deck? But it does get cold in the evenings. It was a, a treat from my mum and dad who left after seven weeks of being here from Australia. And um, yeah, it's, it's fun. It kicks the heat out. I've had quite a few beers out there already. It's been nice. Excellent, excellent. And you survived resurfacing the deck, which was a job I always hated. <laughs> yes, the next house will definitely have a composite deck and not wood, for sure. <laughs> or people who do it for you, right? <laughs> Fair. That's great, that's great. Hey, so um, the uh, the Graph team has an announcement this week. We're, um, new features on Graph to-do APIs. So nice to see this moving. We're, you know, a bunch of us are actually awaiting for tasks, et cetera, to be uh, fully supported by the I Graph. Know. So uh, nice. Uh, they're, they're, they're highlighting attachments, categories, and checklist items, the ones in this one here. So, um, and checklist items is interesting because I know that's part of the planner API that's out already. You can do tasks. You can have checklist items in those as well as reference right. so, uh, so we're getting some parity coming there. It's nice to see. Well, yes and no. Uh, <laughs> if you read the rest of the article, uh, they're actually retiring the me slash tasks endpoint. And these to-do APIs are GA'd now on the whack to-do, me whack to-do endpoint. There is still a plan to have this notion of a base task. But the one that is currently in preview and beta is being revisited. There's been a lot of reorgs internally within the planner group and the what that aligns to project, which is a different division of the company to where to-do lives. Um, and they just couldn't really get it all together. And so in lieu of bias for action, the to-do team are shipping stuff to V1 so people can actually use it in you know, production apps. And so, um, yeah, just be aware that the... The deprecated resources like the base task list now are the to-do task list and the base task is now the to-do task and so forth. And so um, it, in good news, it means that we're in V1 now for to-do, uh, but it does mean that when you think about tasks, you have to think about them a little bit differently when you're using to-do versus planner on the graph. Okay. Yeah, so that's interesting. My initial reaction was the the scheme is getting closer, and right. you're saying maybe not. So, <laughs> which is interesting, but yeah, okay, all right. Well, yeah, my life is more about planner, so it's, uh, good. But I can certainly see the people wanting to have this stuff. So right. it's great to see. Hey, movement is better than no movement. So I'll take it. Other movement happening. Sites that selected for SharePoint and CSAM has an update posted as well, and. Um, I always get a little chuckle when people complain about, you know, sites that selected. And I remember SharePoint's had this, you know, per site permission model since day one. So this is not anything new for them. But the, my takeaway on this article is that for the most part, well, this article plus a, a Twitter thread, uh, if, if you're, whether you're calling a SharePoint endpoint or the graph endpoint, sites that selected is going to work a similar way. Folks can, uh, can grant a subset, a, a, can grant permissions to a subset of sites instead of sites that all, right? And they also include a link to a video from Paolo Piorsi, who uh, has got a lot of great stuff out there as well. So good to see stuff moving along there too. Next one, what's new for Microsoft Graph Connectors? Long time SharePoint PM Bill Bard is now kind of shepherding the search slash connectors bit as well. And so he posted, this is a somewhat a dated post that has been in my inbox for a while, but um, there's updates to 
Microsoft Graph Connectors, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the bit where I can put my data into the search. Yeah, right? that's right. And, and, the, right. Yeah, and okay. the nice thing is, is although we've, this is definitely what we call internally like a 1P3P story, which is like, we'll build a, a platform interface for our first party internal product groups to be able to build things that can suck in content externally. But that same interface is something you can use externally through Microsoft Graph Connectors. But the search team have been building their own like generic ones, like the CSV connector is one that's that's new as of um, beginning of August. And so the sc- beautiful screenshots that uh, Bill puts in his blog yeah. post, right, shows that, you know, you can actually do searches inside of CSV files and have nice search result rendering cards to show those those results. And so there are so many scenarios for this that, man, all those consultancy gigs I did 15 years ago where we were trying to get the data out of old systems and like move them to new ones. If those scenarios still exist, you can just take the CSV file and push it through the graph connector and have these beautiful search results here. And I think the example here is this is coming from an external like HR system and you can do like full searches on contact information, even though it might not be in AAD. So it's very, very cool, cool idea. Um, and so that's, that's neat. I think you're burying the lead though, right? So if you scroll down, it's called the um, intranet connector, which gets us close to what we used to have in SharePoint search on prem. Right where I can connect SiteMinder or Salesforce or just any type of, you know, HTML's place and it'll index that content as well based on what I'm reading here, which is, all, all, right? I mean, how many times did you, did you have to right. extend search to include some other system uh, on-prem, right? So, this is the, good to see. Um, so, but yeah, I totally agree. And there's a couple of other things, uh, a hint of what's coming new, OCR and and uh, query formulation, which uh, is, ooh, that sounds interesting too. So, I can do some fun stuff with with uh, connectors and stuff. So, great to see. Thanks to Bill for publishing an update on that. So, love to see that. Yeah, that's awesome. And to follow on with our SharePoint e-theme for the most part today, uh, our guest this week, Alex Terentiev came on. And Alex was on a long time ago, over a year ago. You know, him and I were at a dev kitchen and he he took Victor's place of just popping out an application that, you know, launched the shuttle in two minutes. So, he <laughs> often went some great code, but uh, he came on to talk about SPFX updates. I know we've mentioned on the news part about some recent updates that 1.14 and 1.15 and 1.15 and 1.2 is out. And so, Alex and I did a very developer-y thing. We went through the release notes of all three of those releases to talk about what's new and how to use them and things to look for. So, uh, thanks to Alex for hopping on the show. We caught him just before he left on holiday, which was <laughs> nice of him to, to do that. So, uh, if you're doing SPFX stuff and you haven't looked for a while, um, this is the, the episode to go. And then uh, I have to get on the phone now and, and reach out because one of the features they mentioned didn't work for me. So, I, I have a feeling it's not completely rolled out, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll fix that as well. So, so there we go. Sounds like a good plan. And then uh, we'll be off for a while. I'm heading off to the home office for a week or so. So, uh, by the time you hear this, uh, I'll be there. So, Look forward to chatting again, buddy. Yeah, enjoy your uh, time in London and um, you might need to get some Jaffa cakes for me and ship them sh- from Chicago to Seattle when you when you get back. What are Jaffa cakes? Oh my gosh, you'll have to get Wes to show you what a Jaffa cake okay. is. All yeah. right, I'll do it. We'll do. All right, buddy, <laughs> have a good one. <laughs> See ya. Today on the show, I'm pleased to welcome back Alex Trentiev. Hey, buddy, how are you? Good. How are you, Paul? 
I'm doing well. Um, you know, since we last chatted, which was uh, October of 2019, I looked, things are a little bit different. So why don't you reintroduce yourself to our listeners, please? So my name is Alex Rentiev. I'm a former MVP now because I joined uh, Microsoft a year ago. So currently I'm tech lead in SPFX development in Microsoft. So yeah, we'll be happy to talk about SPFX. <laughs> Yes, I, and actually, I was looking through our, our show. We really haven't talked in much detail about SPFX in quite a while. I know we've, we've mentioned all the releases, and Ed came on to give us the marketing picture. So this is going to be great. We can dive into the details. So what I think uh, I'd like to start as I went back and, and the release notes, and version 1.14, we really didn't cover much, which was February of 22 when we first talked about that. And so what uh, this kind of, I think, brought the Viva Connections bits kind of into GA, right? So can you just talk a little bit through about what the SPFX Viva Connection bit is for a developer? Uh, yeah. So first of all, Microsoft uh, presented this uh, Viva as a new uh, stuff, marketing stuff and uh, development stuff. And there are multiple projects under the Viva umbrella, I would say. So we have uh, Viva Learnings, Viva Topics, and uh, Viva Connections as one of the parts of this uh, Viva. And uh, Viva Connections or a uh, adaptive cards extensions are uh, extensions or components inside SharePoint framework that allows you to develop cards that will be uh, visible, available in uh, Viva Connections dashboard. And uh, these cards are mostly for uh, first-line workers, so they're mobile-first uh, and mobile-friendly. And uh, you can imagine that uh, front-line workers, they don't have some machine desktop. Uh, usually they're using some mobile devices, but they still want to access important information uh, about their tenancy, about their organization, and uh, communicate efficiently using their mobile devices. So uh, Viva Connections and uh, ACES uh, allow you as a third-party developer to uh, provide some line of business applications or some products to be included in these kind of dashboards inside their uh, tenancies. Okay, and so the this obviously connection or Viva connections is GA right now. As there's are there some at some point there's some talk about Microsoft shipping some cards, right? Is there some that are included out of the box, or is it all just what developers put together? Uh, yeah, there are a few cards that are available uh, out of the box. Also, what is, what is more important, there is a PNP sample repository uh, that provides, I believe, maybe more than 10 or even 20 uh, different cards, Viva Connection cards that you can uh, use. And they cover different scenarios, div different designs. They show you how you can use like lists, uh, some submit buttons, etc., etc. Uh, so yeah, I would definitely look into this one. Uh, from out-of-the-box perspective, uh, the most important one is, uh, is probably Adaptive Card Designer, that, you, that is basically card and a web part at the same time, I would say, because it provides you a property pane that you can use to kind of design your card and uh, give it some brand, let's say, provide some base story actions and uh, yeah use it on your dashboards yeah okay so you know so that that reminded me and one thing that confused me at first you said the the property pane and I believe 
Well, can you talk about what that, what does that experience mean? Is my frontline worker going to be going through and editing a property pane or what, is, what does that look like? No, uh, from that perspective, we have author, same as we have for any pages in SharePoint, we have dashboard author that will be responsible for uh, adding cards on the dashboard and configuring them. So basically when a third party developer creates or develops some ACE, uh, he will also provide properties available in the property pane similarly to web part. And then when the uh, dashboard author adds this uh, ACE to the dashboard, he will be able to configure this ACE uh, based on these uh, configuration properties uh, provided by the developer. And so that's where you mean, we said there's a, an active card editor, right? So if I'm in the dashboard and I put the dashboard in edit mode, I can do what I want with a, with a JSON to make a card, right? Not exactly. You're okay. still, yeah, it, it will be still a property pane and from, uh, for, yeah, for third party, uh, ACES. But yes, for adaptive card editor, yes, it's more, uh, it's more, uh, flexible. So there are a lot of properties, I believe, including JSON that you can use for, uh, so called quick view. So, uh, for those who are not familiar with ACES, you have two, uh, views in there. First one is visible on the dashboard itself. But then, for example, when you click on the ACE, on the card, there can be an action that uh, shows you a more rich view, which called quick view. And there you can use all the features provided by adaptive cards like uh, lists, tables, actions, etc., etc., etc. And yeah, so basically this one is configurable th through uh, adaptive card editor. But again, it's more like a playground, I would say. It's not a line of business application that you can use. It. If you want to develop some line of business application, you would probably need to write some code. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, an another question that I had, when I, I have the dashboard and I click on a card and I get this quick view, right? And I said that, that lets me do a bunch of adaptive card things. And so when actions are invoked, right? So so my, in my background, I work in a bot and, and then an action can be sent back to the bot. How does that work in the SPFX Viva Connections bit? Are actions handled by SPFX or do I write JavaScript code or something in between? How does, how do, how does the developer handle the actions. Yeah, currently they're handled by SPFX code. So you will have callbacks inside your SPFX solution and there you can react on these uh, actions and uh, basically update your uh, quick view, navigate back to the card view. Uh, you can still send some requests to your uh, backend that can be a bot, maybe some other API. Yep. So the base class catches it for me and calls my method and I just over... I got lots of my C sharp showing through, I guess, but but yeah. So uh, I guess what you're saying is, yes, it's handled by SPFX all the wiring up, but at some point I get to run my code in response to the click, right? Yes, that's Perfect. correct. Perfect, excellent, excellent. And so Viva Connections now I know has has rolled out, and we've got that overview. Was there any other big thing that you can think of that we want to talk that I missed? Is talking about Aces because there's a couple other things in 114 I'd love to talk about, but anything else in the uh, Aces that would make sense? I believe if we are talking about 114, that's all we can discuss. There are few additions in 115, but we'll talk about that later, I believe. Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, the, the next question I wanted to at least highlight, I wanted to talk about it was that the, there's a new minimal template added, right? And, and the no framework, we always had React or, and no framework. So what is this minimal template and why would I want to use something like that? 
So minimal template is mostly for experienced devs that usually when they scaffold a new SPFX project, they delete everything that is provided and start <laughs> from scratch. So with the minimal template, you don't need to delete anything. Basically, you have minimal configuration that is needed. Uh, for example, in your web part, you will just have like empty diff, let's say, and uh, it doesn't contain React framework, nothing. It's plain JavaScript, HTML, CSS, nothing else. And from there, you can start. Basically, you can add whatever you want. If you want, for example, Vue.js, you can configure Vue.js instead of React. You can add your markup and, yeah, not deleting anything, but adding. That was the main point. Gotcha. Excellent. Excellent. There was one other thing that caught, at first I thought, oh, I zoomed over, but detect if a component is loading from localhost. And I'm guessing that helps me live without the local dashboard, right? Is that, uh, am I interpreting that right? An SPFX component can check if it's running from code served locally. Uh, yes, it basically allows you to probably debug better and uh, maybe even uh, have some telemetry bet better because you can understand that yes uh, this web part is currently running from a local host and it not only when you just doing like gulp surf you can also uh, gulp bundle your solution and gulp package your solution in debug mode deploy it to the tenancy but then your code is still running from the local host. And uh, now you, yeah, in, in your code, you can uh, figure out these scenarios and probably do something else, for example, provide some additional debugging information <laughs> on the page and so on and so forth. Or, or, or log, console.log shouldn't be putting 8,000 lines in there if it's not for <laughs> local host, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, right. And, and, and is, I'm guessing at least at this point, the, lo the local workbench has is, is been removed, right? As of 114 or at some point, right? Recently, it's, it's been got removed, right? Yeah, I believe it was in 112. And okay. uh, the reason for that, yeah, it's, uh, it's easier for us to add new features to uh, SharePoint hosted workbench instead of uh, providing all these features into the local workbench. And moreover, if it's still included, you will need to uh, install more packages in your local folder. And yeah, why do you need that if usually you still use SharePoint hosted workbench? Yeah, you know, I never use the local because it always seemed to, a lot of times I'd want to be checking my code, how it looks on a page and the local yeah. didn't really have much page stuff there. So it actually worked out well, right? So yep. yeah, excellent. Okay, let's move on now to 1.15, which came out in June. And um, the big thing there, and this is what actually piqued me just to get you on the show, the form customizer extension. So what is a form customizer extension? <laughs> yeah, let's probably start uh, uh, explaining that with the classic example. And for classic developers, it should be something pretty similar. So uh, in classic SharePoint, we were able to overwrite the uh, new form URL, display form URL, and edit form URL for the list or for the content type. And in that case, when you click, for example, on a new button or clicking on the item to view the, the item, you'll be redirected to uh, your custom page where you can have your custom layouts, your custom logic, etc., etc. So unfortunately, with the modern SharePoint and SPFX, uh, there was no ability to do the same. And finally, we are getting to the parity with Classic. Now you can provide your SPFX uh, component ID. Basically, it's similar to like 
web part, right? Uh, but it's a it's extension, form customizer ex extension ID. You can provide new form component ID, edit form component ID, and uh, display form component ID. And uh, if list detects that there is a extension applied to the uh, content type, when you click on a new button in the modern experience, you will be redirected to layouts page where you have the full control, basically. Uh, you're still in the SharePoint. Uh, it looks like SharePoint, but you have almost the whole real estate for yourself. And inside this real estate, inside a diff, basically, you can provide your custom controls, you can provide custom logic, you can, again, request whatever information from your line of business applications and render it in the way you actually want it to be. And I assume I either get props or something that's passing in the list item data, right? Yes, that's correct. And we are start we've started with a small amount of uh, data that is available. So you're getting information about the list, about the content type, and uh, item ID. You're not getting the uh, fields data, but uh, it's coming in one sixteen o. So we are collecting feedback actively, and based on that feedback, yes, the next step for us will be providing the uh, item information in edit and new form customization. So yeah, you'll be basically getting all the uh, fields and all the data for the fields uh, right in the context of the form customizer. So does that mean that right now, since 116 is not out, I, I need to make a call then to say, give me the list item. You, you give me the list item ID and I need to make a call to get the item itself. Is that how it would work now? Yes, yes, that's correct. And uh, why it was the first step, because right now, Developers can uh, decide if they want to use, for example, REST API, PNPGS, uh, Microsoft Graph. And uh, these different options bring you different types of data in the response, right? And for example, if you already have your classes or typings for uh, this or that, you probably just don't want us to provide you some additional information. You just don't need that, right? And uh, that's why we decided to start with minimal approach. And then if we see that additional information is needed, yeah, we, of course, can add it to the page. Yeah, right. And, and actually, you know, I can see that the difficult part being getting my component loaded, getting list item data is a well-known activity. Yeah, We've all yeah. done that many, many times, right? So now I know that for, for a while, there have been the list view customizer, I think it was called, where I could put some kind of crazy JSON to format items on a list view. And, and this form customizer, is that similar? Is it different? Uh, or I, what, what, do I, I, I guess I'm, I just want to clear, clarify, is it the same kind of concept or is this a totally different? So there is a list formatting, which is JSON, and okay. mostly it's provided for power users, I would say, not for pro developers. And yes, it allows you to customize forms uh, it allows you to customize uh, list views uh, using some JSON formatting. Uh, so yeah, you 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 can still like hide some fields, for example, uh, rearrange them, sort them. This kind of stuff provide footer and header, but you don't have full control uh, of what the end user is seeing. With the form customizer, you can completely customize the form. You can uh, create your own components for, let's say. I don't know, you don't like dropdowns instead of dropdown, you want to have some, I don't know, switch or whatever it is. Uh, and you can do that with SPFX and you definitely can't do that with the JSON formatting. Uh, additional feature that's, again, is coming 
is will be released with the 116 uh, we will provide the json if there is any json formatting applied to the form uh, we will be providing that as part of the SPFX form customizer context as well. So, for example, if there is a header and footer, uh, SPFX developer can use this information from JSON formatting and apply that to their custom forms too. Oh, nice, nice. So, so does the this form customizer bits, is that just new edit display or can I modify list views with a similar SPFX component? Unfortunately, that's only for forms, not for the list view. For Yeah, for list yeah. view, it's still JSON formatting only. Right, right. Or, or the built-in add remove columns yeah. and sorting and stuff that we've had that we've known and loved forever. That's great. That's great. All right, I'm moving through uh, the list uh, 1.15, just a couple little things. Right? Updated support for Node, updated support for SDK and TypeScript. I don't know if there's anything in here that's earth shattering. Well, I'm a C-sharp guy, so a lot of this is like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so is there um, any other interesting things that I'm missing um, in that regard? Probably the most important one also is uh, support for uh, Microsoft Graph SDK v v3. So SPFX was long on v1, which is like deprecated probably two years ago or so. And uh, finally, we are supporting the latest version of Microsoft Graph SDK with all the goodness provided in there, uh, including batching, middleware, uh, this kind of stuff. So this is important one. Also, we deprecated uh, TSLint and uh, moved to ESLint. Again, it's uh, good from deprecation perspective. TSLint was deprecated again two years ago, I, I believe. Uh, we heard some feedback in 1.15 that with the ESLint, we provided some uh, code practices that are specific for Microsoft, I would say, and we should not push uh, with these practices to like to the world and uh, basically in 1.15.2 we changed that and uh, we removed some annoying rules <laughs> for the for the code <laughs> and we also provided all the list the whole list of the rules in uh, ESLint file so basically any developer can go inside their generated project and uh, remove uh, rules they don't use Add or remove as they find appropriate, right? Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, yeah. One other thing I didn't hear. The image helper API. It says auto-generated thumbnail images of pages and documents, right? So can you give me a use case? Well, I guess I, I, I struggled to understand what this was. Uh, is this kind of like built into the CDN that comes with SharePoint or is this something different? Yes, basically, if you have some icons or pictures that are hosted in SharePoint, in uh, site assets or something like that, you can use Image Helper API uh, to generate thumbnails. So, for example, your picture can be like many pixels to many pixels, and you don't need that. You need like 600 by 400. And uh, using Image Helper, yes, you can do that. You are providing the uh, path to the picture. You are providing the size. And... Uh, we will generate the smaller picture for you. Oh, so that sounds like a, a OneDrive capability that we've had for yeah. a while, right? Yeah, yes. okay, okay. Awesome. But now, so then the image has to exist in SharePoint or is it any image anywhere? Uh, yeah, it should be in, the, in SharePoint. Okay, okay, awesome. Then I'm skipping over the, the preview things that you've, you've, you've talked about here, but was it, you mentioned one that 
15.2, which came out uh, just as last week, right? August the 2nd is what it's yes. listed here. And there's a feature here that I love, the enable service principal registration when they approve the, the scopes. Uh, so can you talk us through uh, what our listeners talk us through what, what that means? Yes. Yeah, so recently before uh, 115.2, when you want to use third-party APIs in uh, SharePoint, uh, you needed to go to Azure AD, you need to create a service principle, then you need to AD app, basically. Uh, then uh, you need to register web application permissions in your SharePoint, then you go to API access. And uh, before even doing that, when you created this AD app, uh, the admin in this uh, tenancy should go and approve the uh, your app to be basically in the tenant, right? And when that's done, you can go to API access page in tenant admin uh, app catalog. And from there, you can finally grant uh, API permissions to use these third-party APIs. Now, uh, instead of these additional steps of involving AD admin and going and uh, provisioning the instance of your AD app to the specific tenant, you can just provide uh, app ID and uh, reply URL in the web API uh, permissions request in package solution.json file in your SPFX solution, uh, basically where you're doing like Microsoft Graph, resource scope, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then when we find this information, we will uh, display the consent dialog at the moment when you're uh, approving the uh, permissions in API access page in tenant SharePoint admin center. So you, you don't need to Additionally, go to admin and uh, uh, ask them, AD admin, and ask them to uh, allow this application uh, on the specific tenant. Instead of that, we'll show this consent, consent dialog when the admin is approving the permissions. It's great. As an ISV, this is perfect because it's easy to forget yep. that, oh, they haven't consented to our app first before it shows up. But do you know... Do I still need the same Azure roles as a global admin to grant the consent? Or do you let SharePoint admins do those consents? Is that changed? Do you know? It didn't change. And actually, even before that, when you're approving permissions for Microsoft Graph or third-party APIs through a SharePoint admin center, you still should be global admin. So it's not only yeah, SharePoint yeah. admin. Yes. Okay. And you mentioned that we need to provide the app ID and reply URL. So I'm guessing that's the same values that I would put in the app registration. So I still need to create, I still need to create an app yes. in it, as I always have, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. And for the uh, reply URL, I would suggest probably to uh, use some beautiful page because we actually will show this <laughs> reply URL in the pop-up for consent and permissions. So the end user, in that case, it will be admin, but still he will he will see what is in the reply URL. And potentially you want to have some branding in there for your application. Yeah, a little tip for folks. It's a great opportunity to run some server-side code to log the, hey, tenant XYZ consented to my app. So that's, yeah, and then and then show some information, confirmation. It's always, yeah, what I've learned is if you don't show a nice confirmation, they say it didn't work, but maybe it did, right? But, but what didn't work was a redirect or something. So awesome, great, great stuff there. Moving on to 115.2, there's a new action types for media. And I'm guessing this is adaptive card action types, right? Yes, that's correct. That's correct. And uh, I would 
talk like about 115 and 115.2. So in 115, we uh, uh, G8 the uh, geolocation actions. So uh, again, it's related to adaptive card extensions. So uh, you're able to work with the geolocations starting with 115. And in 115.2, we added the media action types. So in that case, you will be able to work with the files. You'll be able to upload one file, multiple files, etc., etc., and process that in your ACES. Oh, nice. Nice. I hadn't noticed that. Oh, great. Oh, and so geolocation, then I'm guessing that's because I'm on in a Teams app on a phone that makes sense to know where they're at, right? Yes. Um, do I get geolocation information all the time or only if they invoke an action? Uh, it's all about actions. So yes, you're not okay. getting information like show my phone or something like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. And it, and it's not, it's not geofencing like we had seen, but you know when things first came out, right? It's really when they click an action, I can capture yes. where they're at at the time. Yes. Type of awesome. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Okay. And then um, what else do you think is interesting? That I guess I, I maybe I missed stuff in one fifteen or one fifteen two that that uh, are interesting to folks. I believe uh, that's pretty much it. So we were working a lot on uh, GitHub issues during the probably last year, and of course in one fourteen, one fifteen, one fifteen two. So uh, currently we are pretty stable in amount of uh, issues and uh, of course stale issues that are there around SPFX. So currently I believe we have not more than. 30 active bugs uh, around SPFX and uh, adaptive cars. So it's pretty good. And uh, we are trying to do our best to make the platform more stable. And that's basically right now in each release, at the end of the uh, release notes, you can see what uh, issues were fixed during the uh, timeline for this release. Yeah, I've seen that as well. And so, just I'd love to get some fee- feedback from from the inside, right? So there, there. I don't know. A year and a half ago, the whole release was bad and reissued and and started the preview releases before GA. How is that process working out from inside? The I mean, when, is it working okay for you, or do we need to expect something different there? It is working for us and uh, we are trying to hold the cadence, like uh, four releases per year. Ideally, and uh, yes, these preview and better releases uh, actually help a lot because we can use the feedback. We actually want more feedback. It's not so. It's not a lot of it right now. If if you look at the even on npm, if you look how many times the better bits were downloaded, it's not so much. So we definitely want you guys to use our beta beats more and actively provide uh, feedback if you agree with something, if you want to see something additional in that version or this API or whatever. And uh, that will help us to at least build our roadmaps uh, closer to what actually is needed by the community. So if I do the beta version, I guess that's the generator. Can I put that web part on a page with a GA one? Do I have any side-by-side issues? I, I mean, set aside the fact that maybe you should be using a dev tenant, but <laughs> we know people do stuff differently, right? So is, is there any issues I need to worry about if I have one web part that uses the preview or beta generator and one using production? No, uh, you should not worry about that. So at the end, we actually load in the latest and greatest on the page. So even if you are on, let's say, I don't know, 1.8, 
of uh, SPFX, your solution was developed using 1.8, we will still load 1.15.2 on the page, basically, and even with beta bits if needed. And uh, that's why we are trying to be always backward compatible, because we support all the versions, all the solutions starting from the first version of SPFX. Yeah. Oh, that you know that makes perfect sense. I never thought of that, but yeah. Once once I'm running on the page, I get the like my context is whatever version you you put on on the platform, right? Awesome. I like that. All right. So now you mentioned one sixteen. So I think you can share. I know it's pretty early, and maybe some things are NDA, but um, well. So let's start here, right? So we would expect we have four releases a year, so we're probably still three months out. Is the issue or is the plan for 1.16, right? So folks should be looking for a preview soon, we think, or not so much? Yeah, we are focusing on uh, end of August to release uh, first beta. And uh, in there, potentially, we will have updates with uh, React, because React, sorry, uh, because right now React uh, 16 is deprecated and React 17 is the current version. So we are actively working to make that the version for SPFX solution, generated SPFX solutions. Uh, we're also looking into, as I already mentioned, uh, some updates for uh, form customizers. And uh, we are actively working on some additions to ACES that I cannot talk about right now. Oh, perfect. But yes, that's <laughs> great. We'll, we'll be excited. Um, excellent. So I have one last question. You mentioned that GitHub issues. Is that an easy URL to tell folks? Or should we just put it in the, in the, in the show notes? Where do people provide feedback on these these bits other than you know finding you on twitter but <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so the url is uh, github.com slash sharepoint slash sp dash dev dash docs uh, so basically this is the repo where you can put all the bugs uh, around spfx of course if they're not related to like your third-party part or PNP or whatever uh, libraries you're using. This is about the platform itself, about SPFX itself. But yeah, feel free to use issues in this uh, repo. And we also have discussions in there. And if you look at the discussions we have, uh, we are collecting feedback around form customizers, around uh, application customizer. We are collecting feedback around Workbench, uh, SharePoint hosted Workbench. So feel free if you have ideas around these areas, feel free to uh, go to these discussions and uh, post your suggestions and uh, we will look at this as well. Excellent. Lots of good stuff. I love it. I might actually have to go crack open the updated generator and, and start writing more code because it's the, the stuff is I want to see as well. So thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Maybe we'll pencil you in in six months or so after a couple releases and cover it again because uh, this, this was wonderful stuff. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 